Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. And welcome back for another episode of Wade for Wireless with all your wireless updates, news, and information. Just sit back and relax. Hey everybody, this is Wade with Wade for Wireless, and I'm back with another exciting episode of technology, and today we're going to talk about beamforming. Specifically, what is beamforming? Do you know? Do you care? You should, because it's very important in massive MIMO deployments. But first, I want to thank my sponsors. For all your closeout package needs, you should get the software as a service called Tower Tracker Pro. Go to towertrackerpro.com. All one word, just type it in, Tower Tracker Pro. Pro.com. I also want to thank Tower Safety and Instruction. Tower Safety and Instruction at towersafety.com for all your tower safety and training needs. And they also have drone training and they also have Teletech College. Tele, T E L E, Tech, T E C H, hyphen, college, C O L L E G E. For all your tower training, tower safety, health and safety, first aid, things like that, and drone training. All for tower work. All right, let's get into beamforming. Again, this is Wade with Wade for Wireless. What is beamforming? Well, let's go through a quick history lesson. Let's talk about antennas because it's all in the antennas. Because the antennas that can control their own beams and the shape of their beams, that's pretty cool, right? You only want to hear what you have to hear. You can start getting rid of all that noise, any interference, anything like that. That is high-tech antenna technology. So I'm not going to go into all the details here. I'm going to give you an overview. If you want the tech, you can go to Wade4Wireless, W-A-D-E, the number 4Wireless.com, and you can get the details there of uh, links. I have links in my blog about where to go for more information if you really want to get down into the formulas and the minutia of what's there. So, But can you imagine antennas that can like literally control the beam, their own beam, say, what? Control the beam on demand? How can that be? Well, it's a little more complicated than I make it sound. But first, let's let's uh, go over a quick history lesson of antennas, because it's very important we understand where they were and where they're going. So I don't know if you're familiar with the much antenna technology, but when they mount antennas, generally... What you see is what you get. Before, when they just had like single antenna, single in, single out, SISO, basically whatever pattern you had was what you got. So you would have the, let's say it was a, let's say if you have three sectors, right? You want 360 degrees of coverage. So you would have 120 degrees for each sector, hypothetically. And then you would have down tilt because for a cell to be covered, you want to have specific area, specific uh, small region around, let's say the tower, let's make it easy around the tower. In microwave, you just had point to point, let's say you had a you had a dish, which was your antenna facing east, and another dish, your other antenna facing west. And all they had to do was talk to each other and their beam width might be tight, you know, less than 10 degrees, probably, you know, three to eight degrees in that range somewhere. With microwave, you want the best signal you can to, so they can talk to each other. So when you cram down that beam into one little area, the gain goes way up. So hence, the microwave dishes could go like, you know, 10 miles at a specific frequency. Obviously, spectrum plays a big part, right? But with cell antennas, you know, they couldn't really cram it down because they have to pay for tower space and everything. So they're trying to cover a specific area 
for the users. And the difference is a microwave dish is only talking to one other user. Even if you're in a microwave point to multipoint system, you're only going to be talking, let's say, to five or 10 users. That's pretty important here because in a cellular situation, and it's it's really it it really is point to multipoint, but you're talking to all the user devices down there. You know, could be five, could be ten, could be one, could just have one guy there on the cell at one time. Well, on the other hand, if it's rush hour and the macro site is right by the uh, by the highway and everyone stopped, then you could have a hundred, a few hundred, or maybe even a thousand people in one sector, which would probably overload the sector in all honesty. But you have a lot of all these people talking to it at the same time. Now that was when you had a single antenna. Then we had MIMO, multiple in, multiple out. That that really made a difference because then you could have multiple people talking at the same time. It was more efficient, spectral efficiency. You know, they had two by two. When I say two by two or four by four or eight by eight, I mean to transmit, to receive, four transmit, four receive, eight transmit, eight receive. So there you could use beamforming to specifically focus on a, on a group of users or a specific user. Before they had all the beamforming and everything, the evolution of antennas was something that had, they had remote electrical down tilt or up tilt, remote electrical tilt, which with Comscope, they called it RET. Comscope had these antennas where they actually had a physical actuator in there. You could, you could like go up or down with your tilt. You had electrical tilt in a lot of antennas. So you could go up or down two or three degrees each way, let's say. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough to make a lot of the carriers happy that they actually bought these antennas. They bought a lot of them, I would assume. They bought a lot of them and put them out there. I know there's quite a few out there. So there was remote electrical down tilt. So antennas did start to evolve. Antennas were getting smarter, a little more efficient. Now I'm talking about the carrier space. If you go to the Wi-Fi space, the Wi-Fi space in 802.11, when you look at Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi has done a lot. They're the ones that actually pioneered this beamforming technology so that they would hear a specific user. And one of the companies I give credit to is Ruckus, but I'll get into that later. I'll tell you why in a few minutes. First, how does it work? A new type of evolution, beamforming. Antennas are doing more than they ever have before, which is amazing. So with beamforming, a lot of the physical elements go away. Now, don't get me wrong. When I say a lot of the physical elements go away, don't think you can just magically put an antenna up there and you're done. You still need to design the direction to, to do the RF design. You want the direction the antenna is, which is called the azimuth, and then you want the perfect down tilt, which is the elevation. So you still have the physical aspects to cover what you want to cover, okay? That doesn't go away. So you have to do a little planning up front. You can't just slap it on a tower and hope for the best. You have to do a little planning, people. So you get that up there, and then what you do, uh, what's different than before, the beam is actually going to shape to the user. So within that coverage area, let's say 120 degrees and whatever the elevation coverage is, when your beam is transmitting, if you only have two users, it can focus on those two users. And with 3D beam forming, three-dimensional beam forming, doesn't that sound so impressive? It can focus on those users in not only azimuth, but elevation as well. It actually puts a cone out that, let's say if you were looking at the antenna, it would actually look like the lobe. So just imagine, you know how you have side lobes, back lobes, you have the little spurs that come off, we all call little lobes. A lobe, basically an antenna is like a little cone, at least the way I picture it. When you look at all the pictures on there, you picture a little cone. So imagine now if you had that lobe specific for users, let's say you had one, two, or five users, like all in one area, and the lobe could tighten in on those guys, so you wouldn't have any interference or you wouldn't be hearing any other crap. That is pretty awesome. 
So that's basically what you're going to have. When you see this with carrier technology, don't let the OEMs fool you because it came from Wi-Fi. In fact, I believe, uh, like I said earlier, one of the pioneers was Ruckus. Ruckus made, makes carrier-grade Wi-Fi uh, systems. They're a little more expensive for all you guys that are on the cheap. Uh, I know you probably use Ubiquiti, and I'm sure Ubiquiti has beamforming now too. I think everyone has it. But I remember Ruckus really pioneering this, and it was really cool because what they would do, the way they would get such better performance and throughput is they could form the radiation pattern they wanted to with their antennas. It was their antenna technology that made all the difference in beamforming. I don't know if they had 3D beamforming. I imagine they did. But they could actually concentrate in the users they wanted to, and they could filter everything else out. In Wi-Fi, it's a huge deal because you're license-free, right? Anyone's crap can be on there. You could have six, seven, eight, ten hotspots in one area. So the reality is, if you have a ruckus unit, and you, well, if you have any unit now, a unit with beam forming, let's say, and you can focus that cone on one or two users or whoever's really using it or connected to your system or has your ESSID, bam, they're going to get so much better throughput. And I have links in the Wade for Wireless blog that actually will promote that. Okay, no, promote that. I don't mean promote. Well, actually explain that. That's what I meant to say. So it's going to explain it. It's going to give you a little hand with that. So you'll see that Massive MIMO is something I talk about all the time. That relies heavily on the beamforming technology. In fact, that's its secret sauce, really, because now imagine Massive MIMO. You have 32, 64, 128 elements up there, and each element can focus on a user, a group of users, and, and then you can have each element transmitting and receiving its own data, its own time, without interfering from the others, without waiting for its time slot, without all that crap that we had to deal with in the past. That, my friends, is a game changer. How cool is that? Because Massive MIMO really does take beamforming to the next level. When you're looking at Massive MIMO, just think of all the technology that goes in there. You have the multiple elements. You have the beam forming, and the antennas have really come a long way. I mean, it's just incredible to me. Now, don't forget, it's going to be a, a completely different look at the tap. Well, it might not be a different look physically, but electronically, it's going to be a complete different look because you're going to have basically for every element you have, let's say you have 64 elements, you're going to have a radio head behind each one of them. You're going to, and assuming it's FDD, you'll have an element for transmit and an element for receive. Assuming it's TDD, you really could use the same element for both, but it would still transmit and receive. So it's important to remember that when you're looking at these systems. Like I said, if you want to see some more information on this, I have plenty of links in my blog, wadeforwireless.com. Why does this matter? I'm going to tell you why. For the OEMs, it's a huge deal because they looked at Wi-Fi, what Wi-Fi could do. When you look at Wi-Fi and the 802.11 breakdown, there's a lot of channels there in the same spectrum. They found a way to make it so much more efficient and drown out the noise by speaking to who they specifically want to speak to. Uh, what I mean by that is... If you have a hotspot, they can speak to the subscriber that has their ESSID and ignore all the other noise out there. It's not how it used to be. You used to hear everything and then hope for the best and try to overcome the noise level. With this new antenna technology, we're past that. You don't have to hear everything. You hear what you want to hear by beamforming to the specific user you want to talk to. That's why it matters. Because now... Let's say you have Massive MIMO with 64 by 64. Each specific element can speak to each specific user. And if there's 64 users on there, they can focus on each one separately, in theory. 
you know, that's my perception, especially in OFDM. So think about that. It's really incredible, sports fans, how many things you can talk to at the same time in the same spectrum by just using like a massive MIMO technology that has beam forming underneath of it. Even 8x8 MIMO has been using this and it's it's pretty awesome. But I got to tell you, 64x64, 32x32 is going to look make 8x8 look, you know, pretty pathetic. That's what we're hoping for for the future. Remember, for 5G, we want broadband, massive broadband everywhere. Plus, we want the most efficient use of the spectrum we can possibly get. So what we do there is, as efficient as we can, we're going to take this spectrum, break it down into chunks, because we may not need as much. Now we have carrier aggregation to make all the carriers work together and to make multiple bands work together. But so with beam forming, what we can do is focus a specific part of the, the, the spectrum and basically put it to that specific user while another beam is focused on another part of the spectrum and is focused on another user so you don't have the sharing of spectrum like you had in the past. So now another question you probably have is what spectrum does beamforming work in? You know, in all honesty, I think it's going to work in any spectrum. I just do. But right now, I think what, what they're going to do is probably get it, you know, working from, say, 2 gig up to 70 gig. Uh, I mean, it works in Wi-Fi. That could be 2458. I would imagine Sprint's 2.5 gigahertz spectrum would be awesome for it. I really see that being great. But uh, I think where a lot of carriers see a lot of carriers here in the U.S., I think Verizon and AT&T are going to see the biggest benefit in, say, the 28, the 24, you know, the 20 gigahertz band, 30 gigahertz band, because they're going to want to use it for their uh, fixed wireless systems. That's uh, what they're going to be looking at. I think it's going to be any spectrum. I don't know what T-Mobile is going to do about the 600 megahertz, but I'm sure they'll figure it out. They're very smart. They'll, well, actually, they won't figure it out. They'll push an OEM to figure it out, uh, but I'm sure they will. Whether it's FDD or TDD, I'm sure it's going to work no matter what. Uh, something to think about with FDD, you're going to have a separate transmit and receive element for each device, right? For each antenna that's out there. Whereas, whereas with TDD, boy, I can't speak today. Whereas with TDD, you'll have an element that does transmit and receive both. Uh, which I would think it's physically a little smaller, but who knows? I know the radio heads will probably uh, be a little more efficient, but that's my opinion. What do I know? Who's going to use this? Now, keep in mind, when I say who's going to use this, I'm looking in the USA only which means I'm looking at Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile. That's really what I'm focused on. So they're already working with some MIMO antennas, like 2x2, 4x4, 8x8, but now we're going to go massive MIMO. And I think whoever deploys massive MIMO is going to use it. I would see AT&T wants to use this and Verizon wants to use this, but they're really pushing for their fixed wireless. So they're going to use it in their fixed wireless systems. And it looks like they're going to do that first. But let's face it, when it comes to deployment for the mobile systems, they're going to have to use it at some point. Sprint has the ideal spectrum. They have a crap load of spectrum in 2.5 gig, right? And I would love to say they'll do it at least on their mobile system, especially because they're going to deploy massive MIMO everywhere. But can they get out of their own way and can they execute? You know, I don't know. Is management going to make that decision? Do they want to spend the money or, you know, they have to pay back what? Between two and eight billion dollars for the next five or six years. So I don't know what they're going to do. Now, T-Mobile has a lot of spectrum in 600 megahertz. So I would think that T-Mobile would be in an ideal situation to use this, assuming they can get to work at 600 megahertz. It's pretty low spectrum. But uh, I would think they're in a good position for this. 
but I don't want to speak for T-Mobile. That's John Ledger. That guy will tell you. I mean, he certainly seems like he wants to do everything he can to get the, 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 the best broadband out there to everybody. Whether he can or not, I don't know. Now, the cable companies are technically, they're already doing this with Wi-Fi, but I thought they would be aggressively investing in some type of technology for this. I know Comcast won some 600 megahertz spectrum, but they, they don't seem concerned. I think they should be because I think they're going to see real competition for internet service providers, like especially if the carriers get into it because carriers have deep pockets and a, a wide reach, you know, all across the country. And John Ledger, he even, he even threw out the, uh, I want to say a threat saying that they were going to start gashing into the cable company's business because he knows the cable companies have a lot of complaints. Now, the cable companies, again, don't take this too seriously, but I have to tell you, they probably should, at least in the urban markets. Why? So let's look at the history of the smartphone and what businesses it put under. Remember when people had pagers? Gone. Remember when people had two-way paging? Now you call that texting. Remember when there was a TomTom GPS? Who has that anymore? It's all in your phone. So there's one, two, three industries. Gone. Three industries gone. All replaced by a smartphone, by the device you probably have in your pocket, holding your hand and you can't live without and you probably check it every 10 minutes. So again, I would say just be aware of that cable companies. So I also, that that's why the cable company should really pay attention. I mean, it's very obvious this is going to be a, this, well, Massimo, the high broadband is going to be a threat to them. Let me tell you a personal story here. When my son was living in Ann Arbor in Michigan, uh, he was at a program out there for the University of Michigan, and uh, he he really doesn't watch much TV. He's a millennial. He's in his 20s. One of the things that he complained about was a cable bill. You know, he had a smartphone. Never complained about that. That was great. But he had to pay for internet access, which meant he had to get cable. And he was so angry. He just never watched TV, never even hooked his cable box up or anything. He didn't want it. He just wanted the internet. He didn't like the fact that the cable company would dictate what he could or could not watch for a price when all he wanted was internet access. And they, they just made it so inconvenient. Here's a kid that with his internet access, he watched everything through like Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that. He didn't rely on the cable company at all. Could have cared less. And everyone his age that I met is pretty much like that. They don't watch TV. The only thing they really watch on cable is the local news. I mean, they really could care less about anything else. But what they do want is that internet access. They want Wi-Fi in their home. Now, he had a crappy little apartment out there. But he watched everything on YouTube, Netflix, Amazon, anything like that. He was happy for Wi-Fi. So if he could get that from his phone or another device, he would do it. He had Comcast. It worked fine. But he wasn't happy with them at all. Wasn't happy with the contract, the price, anything. I would say John Ledger of T-Mobile has a good point. He is going to compete with the cable companies. And I don't see the cable companies taking that seriously. But hey, they're doing all right. You know, they're making money. Not too many are debt ridden. Now, what about the rest of the industry? Well, I'll tell you something. It's going to be part of massive MIMO. So beamforming is going to be hidden in there, okay? So when you look at this, you really can't look at beamforming as being a game changer alone. It's a combination of things as we go on our road to 5G. So it's going to be a game changer but not in the way that you think it is. It's on the road to 5G. We're going to have massive MIMO, carrier aggregation, and beam forming. It's, it's all lumped in there together, right? We're not going to look at one particular thing, but everything put together that's really going to make the difference. What's going to change here? Anyone who provides backhaul. I said, I said it before, I'll say it again. The, the fiber companies, the router companies, uh, backhaul and front haul is just going to increase so much, just like it is for massive MIMO. So if you get a chance, 
read my uh, blog on what is Massive MIMO, and you can see it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be just different things for the uh, for what it, wh whoever provides broadband. Now, granted, with Massive MIMO, the carriers are going to have to make changes at the tower site, so the deployment crews are going to see something. As far as the tower companies, you know, the tower companies are going to be struggling because equipment's getting smaller, more efficient, and they're cramming, say, the radio heads into the antenna. So there's going to be less equipment on the tower. The, the, like the American towers or crown castles, I have to figure that out. What's going to make it up for them is probably, you know, again, the small cell deployments, the poles, the rooftops, things like that. And I got to tell you something, something about the, um, the tower crews. So when I worked with the tower crews and I talked to them quite a bit still, they're not happy with the way things are going. And one guy put it this way, you know, he's got, he's got like several crews and he's a little frustrated because as far as being a, a tower company, your price goes down every year. You're making less money. Your overhead is lower and lower. Why? Because in the industry, training goes way up. They have more training. They have more requirements. And yet, then you go to the carrier and they're paying less and less, right? So the cost goes down. The price goes down. Their income goes down. So here you have your operational expenses going up and you have your income going down. So your margin is cut, getting cut to the bone. So what he compared it to was a diesel mechanic. He said, you know, he's got a couple diesel trucks for some of these bigger jobs. So he said, you know, look at my diesel mechanic. Guy gets 120 bucks an hour to work on an engine, a diesel engine. He said he has all his tools. He has his garage. He has his building and he has his business. He has to advertise. He's got a lot of expenses, but he can work on four or five vehicles at a time. And he can, he can get 120 bucks an hour for those. But he said... That's the end of his expenses. He sure he is training, probably as some type of first aid or safety training. When you have a tower crew, you probably 120 bucks an hour is probably standard what they get for two guys, right? You have a lot more. You have all the same things a diesel mechanic has. You have your tools. Only you have to you have your vehicle as well. So you got to pay for vehicles. You got to pay for license registration. You got to pay for travel, and you hope your per diem's covered in the job. All this stuff you got to pay for all of it. Plus, you have all that safety training you have to do. You have to train them to do a lot of different jobs because at a tower site, you know, there's a lot of different work to do. Like a diesel mechanic, they have to work on a lot of different engines, a lot of different types of equipment. It's a lot of money. But they can raise their costs and people are still going to go to them. It just seems like in the tower industry, if you raise your cost, you're done. You're going to lose work because there's always someone out there to do it cheaper. It's very frustrating. So I'm not a climber anymore. I'll tell you that. So, um, sorry, I got so off track, but let's say who's going to win on this. It's got to be the backhaul companies. I mean, deployment teams are going to make money. Uh, tower crews, maybe, maybe not. Site acquisition people, they always make money. Permitting, you always got to pay for permitting. You're on fiber, you have to get a permit. You install in the tower, you got to pull a permit. I would say the antenna companies are really going to be booming for the next two or three years, like Comscope or Katrine. They're going to be making a lot of money the way I see it. That's just, you know, my perception. Uh, as for the carriers, they all want to gain bragging rights. They all want to brag about who's better, whether it's fixed wireless or whether it's mobility. Anyway, waitforwireless.com. And if you get a chance, check it out because the name of this particular blog is what is beamforming? The reason I'm telling you that is because if you want some links, I got plenty of links in there for you to look at. You might as well learn things, right? We all want to learn more. And if you're into the engineering part, God bless you. <laughs> It's in there. All right. Be smart, be safe, and pay attention. See ya.
don't forget, you have the wireless deployment handbook out there. That's right, at wadeforwireless.com. You have the wireless deployment handbook that is on sale now, and now it's available in paperback on Amazon. Can you believe it? Wireless deployment handbook, available on Amazon in Kindle version and paperback, and also available in PDF. Go ahead, check it out, wadeforwireless.com. Hey, folks, it's available, the 5G deployment plan. That's right, the 5G deployment plan handbook. I have the ebook out there for you. In Amazon paperback, a full color 8.5 by 11 inch version, the Amazon Kindle version, the full PDF on CellFi, and the full PDF on Gumroad. It's all about the 5G deployment. Go to wade4wireless.com and look for 5G deployment plan. It's in there just for you. I'd like to take a moment to thank my sponsors, Tower Safety and Instruction, found at towersafety.com. I'd like to thank them for all the good work they do in training. They're an accredited school out in Phoenix, Arizona, but they serve people nationwide for all your tower training, safety, and drone training needs. They're, uh, uh, hey, hey. 